0: All right, so it's a day off, but no, not for me. We're still doing a podcast, and we are actually telling you why you have the day off on This Is Today. Welcome to This Is Today, the podcast that features the stories that make this day unique. It's Monday, January 18th, 2020. I'm Russ, and here's what you need to know about today. Well, it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day today, and well, how did that become a holiday? Well, we're going to find out. We're going to actually talk with Dr. Noelle Trent, uh, the Director of Interpretation and Collections and Education at the National Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel. The Lorraine Motel, you probably recognize that Name because of a tragic event that happened there. That is where Martin Luther King was assassinated. And we'll be talking about all of that in just a bit. But first, let's take a look at some of the other events for today. It's National Thesaurus Day. Yes. So, um, I don't know, use some other words. Uh, take a look, pick one up, um, or just, you know, Google it and you'll find one. Thesaurus.com uh, uh, is probably out there. I I think it is. I think I've been to that. Um, I did download, I was trying to find an app to, you know, do some grammar checks for me the other day. And so I downloaded this period tracker and I found out that it's completely um, a different type of app. Anyway, uh, it's also National Winnie the Pooh Day today. Um, I was never a fan of Winnie the Pooh. I know, I know, I'm gonna get hate mail for that, but uh, never a fan. But uh, you know what, I'll respect him because he's in Disneyland and, you know, That's got to make them cool. All right. (laughs) Let's take a look at some of our events for today. And I'm going to do this quickly because I do want to spend uh, several minutes with uh, Noelle Trent today. Um, We've got a great interview coming up and uh, we will uh, spend some time with her to talk about Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, But first, yes, let's take a look at those events for today. Uh, In 1896, an x-ray generating machine is exhibited for the first time by H.L. Smith. So, yeah, you know, you could finally uh, figure out what's going on inside of you because of the X-ray machine, and that happened on this day in 1896. In 1975, a spinoff from All in the Family premiered. We talked about All in the Family just a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and, yeah, they had a ton of spinoffs. But this one, this one was one of my favorites. The Jeffersons. Oh, man, that show was awesome. <laughs> I looked forward to that show every single week. You see kids, we couldn't just stream uh, TV shows back then right after another just, you know, like binge episodes. No, we'd have to do that on VHS and that was a pain in the butt because you could never really set it to record at the right time because it always just blinked 12 and uh trying to get it to not blink 12 was a huge pain in the butt and if you figured out how to set the clock, then you'd have to figure out how to set the recording and it was a pain. So each week I looked forward to uh, the Jeffersons. In 1980 on this day, uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall, hit number one. And in 1986 on this day, this is the reason why you are at home today, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was first celebrated as a national holiday. And yes, we will talk more about that in just a bit. But a couple of other events for today, baseball owners unanimously approve interleague play on this day in 1996. That didn't start until the 1997 season. And last year, yeah, people were talking about a couple of things that well, there was the Trump impeachment that they were talking about. um, And well, they're talking about that again. Um, Yeah. Uh <laughs> impeachment so nice, he does it twice. Uh, yes, uh, they're talking about that yet again this year. But also last year, people were talking about Harry and Meghan giving up their royal titles. All right, that is a look at your events for today. I know I did it quick because I want to give as much time as possible to uh, my guests today because we have a, a fantastic conversation. And we're going to be starting that conversation right after this. There is nothing I hate more than standing by the refrigerator section, looking at a beer selection and not knowing what to pick. Yeah, I'll just pick by the label sometimes, but no, I'm going to stop doing that because the Beer Connoisseur has over 5,000 expert beer reviews and in-depth articles about the drink we all know and love. Yeah, it's even got like brewery tours, product reviews, all that fun stuff right there in the magazine. And best of all, because you're one of my listeners, you can take $5.00 off. Just click the link in the description and head over to the Beer Connoisseur and uh, start drinking better beer. All right, and welcome back. So it is a day to honor Martin Luther King Jr. You know, uh, yeah. over the weekend, I-, I talked to an elementary school teacher and she expressed concern about how little is taught in school about civil rights and about Martin Luther King Jr. I, I think it's a great way to spend the day talking about civil rights movement, and of course, Dr. King. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Noelle Trent from the National Civil Rights Museum. Thank you for joining me, Noel. Well,
1: thank you for having
0: me. So let's first talk about the day, Martin Luther King Day. It, it, there's only one other birthday that's nationally celebrated, the George Washington, and then we have uh, Dr. King. It, it didn't take place until what, about two decades after the assassination. So what were the efforts to make this day, a nationally recognized day?
1: Well, one of the things I like to tell people as we look at the MLK holiday, as we've come to know it, is that um, a lot of credit and justifiably has gone to Congressman John Conyers of Michigan, uh, who introduced the first uh, legislation and did the first proposal in about June of 1968. And uh, he, he, along with the Congressional Black Caucus, did a lot of work in uh, creating petitions and getting uh, over six million signatures in support of the holiday. But a large portion of this work is actually due to uh, Mrs. Coretta Scott King. And she goes unacknowledges unacknowledged in a lot of capacities. Uh, she's the one who founds the King Center in June of 68. So just a couple months after her husband is brutally murdered, she has the foresight to form the Center for Nonviolence and is beginning to deliberately shape his legacy. So she's going around the country. She testifies in front of Congress in the 70s to talk about the importance of having a King holiday. Uh, Mm -hmm. The final draft of the legislation is introduced uh, in 1983 by Congresswoman Katie Hall of Indiana, and President Reagan uh, would sign it later that year, making the King holiday the third Monday in January, the Martin Luther King uh, federal observance of his birthday. It would not be officially celebrated until 1986. An interesting thing to know is that between 1986 and the year 2000, a lot of states still were not observing uh, the King Holiday, and so it wasn't mm-hmm. until 2000 when South Carolina actually made it a paid holiday, and the state of New Hampshire was the actually the last one to do any sort of observance of the King Holiday. That all 50 states were actually observing uh, the King Holiday as a full, you know, holiday. You take time off. Um, in 1994, President Clinton signed legislation uh, pr- brought forth by Congressman John Lewis and Senator Harris Warford, uh, designating the King holiday as a national day of service. So now today, when we hear of the Martin Luther King holiday, it's not a shopping holiday. Right. <laughs> hear, there's a lot of language about it's a day on, not a day off. There's a lot of community service efforts throughout yeah. the country. It comes out of the work of Coretta Scott King saying that, yes, we need to, we need to preserve her husband's legacy and be a service to the community, um, but also out of this National Day of Service declaration that we see come out of the Clinton administration.
0: Hey, you got my next question there. I was going to ask you, what should we do today? So what are some examples of things that we should do today to honor Dr. King?
1: Well, you know, my first answer is you should watch the National Civil Rights Museum's King Day celebration on our uh, live stream channel and our social media channels. It will air uh, Monday, January 18th at uh, 12 noon Central Time and 6 p.m. Central Time and will be available afterwards uh, for people to view as well. But, you know, I think that in this time of COVID, we're faced with a a particular challenge. Um, and what does community service like and look like? And what is our community? And I think if you really look at what's happening across the country, nonprofits in general are, are uh, facing a lot of challenges. And so I think oh, yeah. um, looking at, you know, a nonprofit you care about, uh, one that you um, want to invest some time in, either locally or nationally, and finding out what they need right? Uh, sometimes people are like, well, we'll donate food. But sometimes, you know, the I will say this, the monetary donations, regardless of how big or small, are always appreciated. But there may be something else that you can do. They may need people to help, you know, drive things from one place or, or the other. Yeah. Um, and it may just also be as simple as checking in on your neighbor, making sure they're okay. We Everyone has suffered great losses in the last year uh, through the pandemic. And just being a neighbor, uh, being kind to someone is part of that actual act. But the important thing to remember is that the King holiday was never intended to be a single day of service. It is a day to remind us and to allow us to recommit ourselves to being of service to our community and to our neighbors. And so if you've kind of fallen off or don't know what to do, this is the opportunity for you to step up and rededicate yourself for the upcoming year. That's
0: wonderful. And you know, there's also lots of places where you can go just online and volunteer to help just from your home. You don't even have to leave your house to volunteer for certain organizations. Now, you know one of the things that I'm going to be doing today is spending some time with my kids. Um, You know, I'm not working, so I'm going to spend time with my kids, and I would love to talk about Martin Luther King Jr. What should I teach them about Dr. King?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that I think is really important uh, to teach your children about Dr. King is to um, help them realize that he was just a man like everybody else. Yes, he did amazing things, but he went into this activism piece kind of reluctantly. Uh, He joins the Montgomery boycott, um, mostly because a lot of the other ministers were more established and they said, you know what, let's put the young guy out there, see what he can (laughs) do. I mean, he had only lived in Montgomery for about a few months. So they were like, hey, if he gets run out of town, he can go back home to his dad. Uh, But the minute he gets involved, he becomes more dedicated to this work, right? So understanding that you have the opportunity wherever you are in whatever capacity you can, to create a social change. I think the other thing that's really important for people to remember is that his vision was more than just black children and white children and children of all races playing together. His vision was about creating equity in American society. And and what do we mean by that? That means um, for Dr. King that meant a minimum wage as well as a minimum income to make sure that people could take care of themselves and their families to make sure that we're invested in acts of social uplift um, so that we're not investing in war, but we're investing in change and helping the person next to us, right? Mm -hmm. And the third thing is to really wrestle with, and this is very hard, I think, for everybody, but uh, it's a hard idea for parents to communicate to kids to love someone regardless of the hate that's given to you. There's a great quote that uh, of Dr. King's that I love that says, let no man pull you so low as to hate him, right? That there are actions by people who we disagree with, but just because their act is egregious to us, and sometimes it's a threat to our very livelihood, I'm not going to lie, it's a threat mm-hmm. to our person. But being able to commit to an act of love, to respond to that hate with a positive, productive, Means that means acknowledging um, when someone does something wrong, right? And saying that you must be held accountable, but also saying this is how we create change in our community and this is the alternative to these actions. Those are other ways that you can put that out. Yeah. into
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, you mentioned the uh, bus boycotts and I do want to call out our podcast from Friday. We talked with the curator of the Rosa Parks Museum and we talked specifically about Dr. Martin Luther King and his epiphany moment. So be sure to listen to uh, Friday's podcast as well. Okay. So, you know, thinking about Dr. Martin Luther King and how he would react to the world today and what he would think and do uh, about the world today. Um, You know, we have no idea. It's all just guesswork. However, you're a person that is studying him for your whole life. What do you think Dr. King would think about the world as it is today?
1: Um, You know, one of the quotes that that sticks in my head and, um, uh, well, there are several quotes that popped in my head, particularly as... A couple of weeks ago, we saw the uh, insurrection that happened on the U.S. Capitol um, is, is one that comes from his uh, first book, Stride Toward Freedom, where he says nonviolence means avoiding not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of spirit.
2: Mm-hmm. You not
1: only refuse to shoot a man, but you refuse to hate him. Right. Mm-hmm. That that is. That's yeah. the hard part, right? Because right. refuse to not load a gun, right? That's the easy thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right now, I think we're all being tested as to not hate someone. How how can we do that? Um, and then to also be able to hold people accountable. You know, what does that look like? I think Dr. King would be very disappointed. Well, he wouldn't be surprised because... You know, he lived through the 40s, 50s, and 60s, right? Right. So um, there are some things that wouldn't surprise him. I think he would be disappointed. But one of the great things that he talks about is, you know, um, we can disagree, but we can disagree civilly, right? And the laws of the country, the law can't make someone stop hating you, but it can stop them from lynching, you, right? And Mm -hmm. so as we're facing this fight for social justice and economic equity, there are still some real critical changes we can do. And there is a place for governance within this uh, social change. That, yes, morally, you can't make someone love me. And I acknowledge that, but you can stop him from, leaving, right? You can yeah. make sure that I'm able to take care of my family, that I have a livable wage, I have a livable income, you know, that, that um, there shouldn't be any children in this country um, that are starving. You know, we can keep families together on multiple levels, right? There are issues that we can deal with. And so I think that his words still have relevance today. And I think that if he were to be in the space today, he would call us to be recommitted to those actions.
0: You mentioned his book, The Stride Toward Freedom. When he was signing that book in 1958 in Harlem, he was almost assassinated at that point.
1: Yes. um, There was a woman, Isola Curry, who plunged a letter opener in his chest. And it's, it's wow, interesting geez. that you mention that because um, in his final speech in 1968, he reflects on what had happened 10 years prior. And he had said, you know, when that happened, it, it almost punctured his aorta. If he had sneezed, the doctor had said it, that if he had sneezed, he would have bled out. And so in the great tradition of Baptist ministers, he goes on this riff of, um, if I had sneezed, I would have missed the sit-ins. If I had sneezed, I would have missed 1963, March on Washington. I would have missed Birmingham. I would have missed Selma. Wow. Um, so this was a profound moment for him because it could have altered our course of the understanding of this man tremendously.
0: Yeah, and it's amazing that he did that speech the night before He was assassinated. When you listen to the speech, it was a bit of a biography, autobiography uh, that he gave. Let's take a listen to that portion of the speech.
2: Because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960 when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. And I knew that as they were sitting in, they were really standing up for the best in the American dream. taking the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy which were dug deep by the founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1961 when we decided to take a ride for freedom and ended segregation in interstate travel. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1962. The Negroes in Albany, Georgia, decided to straighten their backs up. And whenever men and women straighten their backs up, they are going somewhere because a man can't ride your back unless it is bent. If I had sneezed... (laughs) If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been here in 1963. The black people... Birmingham, Alabama aroused the conscience of this nation and brought into being the civil rights bill. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have had a chance later that year in August to try to tell America about a dream that I had had. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been down in Selma, Alabama to see the great movement there. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been in Memphis to see a community rally around those brothers and sisters who are suffering. I'm so happy that I didn't sneeze.
0: Jeez, you know, hearing that and knowing, looking back, knowing that that was the day before Dr. King was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel. I mean, it's just, it's such a... Interesting choice of words that he said there and throughout the speech. We'll play a little more of that a little later. But first, let's learn a little more about the history of the Lorraine, because uh, there was a lot that happened there prior to the assassination. In
1: 1945, African-American business couple, Walter and Lori Bailey purchased the motel, uh, renamed it the Lorraine after Mrs. Lori Bailey as well as the Nat King Cole song, Sweet Lorraine. And it very quickly became oh. <laughs> the, the key spaces for um, African American travelers traveling throughout the country. In uh, segregated America, um, not every place, even if it was in the North or outside of the South, um, would welcome African American travelers. And so there was a book entitled The Green Book that would guide people to safe places to stay and so the Lorraine Motel was one of them. Uh, the motel hosted people like Aretha Franklin, Sam Cooke, Satchel Paige, Jackie Robinson, and many others. Artists from the Stacks, uh music label, which wasn't too far from the motel, would come and swim in the pool. Uh, in 1964, it was one of the few motels in the city of Memphis that had air conditioning. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever spent a summer in Let Mount- me <laughs> tell you that is absolutely critical.
0: <laughs>
1: so it had, the motel before this moment had this amazing life and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a place that was used to hosting dignitaries and people associated with the civil rights movement and hosted Dr. King uh, a couple of times before the fateful day on April 4th, 1968. Uh, You mentioned his final speech and it's very, it was a very prophetic moment. And what a lot Mm -hmm. of people realize is that speech was largely improvised, um, that he wasn't feeling well that day. He he had been doing a lot of travel um, from, you know, 1967 into 1968. Uh, At that point, he was arguably the most despised man in America, according to polling data. Um, And he, he was working tirelessly on the Poor People's Campaign, which was his call to radically reimagine how the United States dealt with the issue of poverty, that it is not a moral wrong on the part of the individual, but the result of systems and inequities. Um, And so he was just exhausted. And so uh, Ralph Abernathy had gone to Mason Temple on his behalf. And when he got there and saw thousands of people there said, hey, uh, Martin, you got to get over here. So uh, Dr. King hops in a cab, takes the five minute drive over to Mason Temple and delivers the speech. And it's a very stormy night. And so you can just imagine him delivering this very prophetic and powerful speech speech, and the shutters on the window, because the winds were so violent, are clapping and smacking as he's reflecting on the moments of his career. Uh, he not only talks about what he would have missed in the work forward, but he talks about issues for economic equity, investing in Black banks, um, supporting Black workers on several levels. So this is a pretty radical statement, and the audience was really enthralled and and many said that it was they they had never seen him like that before um in his life uh and so that that's his final speech um he's hanging out on, at the Lorraine Motel uh pretty much all day April 4th hangs out with his brother calls his mother um, there was a injunction on uh the march that they were trying to have in Memphis that gets lifted. So he's in good spirits and he's supposed to go to the home of Reverend Billy Kyles at uh that evening. And uh he's in the courtyard and he he uh is talking to his driver and it said, Hey, you know, do you think I need my coat? And he said, You know what, Doc, you better you know, you probably shouldn't, and as he's going up to his room. Uh, he sees Ben Branch, a well-known saxophone player, and says, hey, Ben, tonight I want you to pray, precious Lord, and play it real pretty. Mr. Branch says, you know I will, Doc. Uh, and that's kind of the last things that were said. He, um, he shot at 6.01 p.m. The final, uh, the first calls to emergency services come in at 6.04 A lot of people don't realize that back in the 60s and earlier uh, phones went through switchboards and were connected that way. So Mrs. Lori Bailey was on the switchboard when the call came in for for the ambulance and connected them to emergency services. Uh, She suffers a cerebral hemorrhage, brain hemorrhage that evening and passes, goes into a coma and passes away several days later. Uh, Dr. King's body. Dr. King is taken to St. Joseph's Hospital, where he's pronounced dead at 7:30 uh, p.m. And in reaction to his death, uh, famously Walter Cronkite breaks in the news with this announcement, and there are uprisings across the country. The news hits the world, and people are stunned. Um, mm-hmm. People are outraged. One of the common themes is, despite people's criticism of Dr. King, he was a man of peace. And how could a man of peace be killed in such a violent and tragic fashion? Um, And so that's how his life comes to an end. But the legacy of it, as I mentioned before, is that Mrs. Coretta Scott King is able to galvanize herself. Uh, She leads a silent march that was coordinated by fired Rustin and Reverend James Lawson here in Memphis on April 8th with her Mm. oldest children. And then in the, literally in the weeks afterwards, puts together the King center for nonviolence as a way to promote and preserve his legacy. Uh, So this, this brings that whole story full circle.
0: Yeah. You know, I just got chills uh, hearing that story. I mean, it's so hard to imagine being there in 1968, you know, not only did you have the assassination of Dr. King, but you also had the assassination of Robert Kennedy, such a tough year for America. And, you know, I can't help but compare sometimes 1968 and the feelings that people must have had in 1968 to the feelings that people have, in 2020 and in 2021.
1: You know, and, and I think the lesson in that is there are moments that mark history, right? There are moments of tragedy, moments of violence that mark history. And yes, we absolutely need to mourn them, um, walk through the path of grief, which is extensive. For that, we need to honor those moments and hold the places of where those acts happen as sacred, as reminders of what was lost and the sacrifices made. But the other side of that is that there's also power and hope in that, right? That how do you choose to counter that? What is your reaction to that? Robert Kennedy gives his speech announcing it to a crowd in Indianapolis, Indiana, right? Um, And so, what's there for us to learn particularly in the app and what we're seeing happening in the country right now is yes the country's been through similar tough times before but we can we can navigate through this we have to have uh the courage and bravery to call out the injustice when we see it to demand that there be accountability and consequences for actions that violate the law, and to push forth this path for social justice. You know, we cannot change the past as it happens, but we can learn from it, and we can then put those lessons into our present. Wow,
0: yes. Thank you uh, so much for those words. And, you know, uh, thank you for joining me today. I mean, we've we, I actually, before we go, I do want to make sure that everybody knows about the various virtual experiences that they can uh, have by visiting your website. Can you tell us about some of those uh, virtual experiences for the museum?
1: Well, right now we have um, a number of our virtual programs Are available like everybody. We had to pivot pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: When everything shut down in March 2020, uh, we have an annual commemoration of Dr. King's assassination on April 4th. And the museum shut down on March 16th. It gave us about two weeks to take what was traditionally a face to face program into the digital sphere. And since that time, We have done a lot of digital programming. Um, People have been trying to make sense of some of the issues around racial justice uh, that have been happening. So we have a number of programs that are available for people to view. We have done a number of story times for small kids. These are great books that introduce children to civil rights activists, as well as uh, some of the core issues around social justice. So fairness, equity, uh you'd be surprised how easily a four year old can get these concepts when they're introduced mm-hmm. in the right way, and so we have that available as well but today we we have our virtual celebration uh traditionally King Day is our largest celebration of the year uh where we see upwards of twelve to fifteen thousand people on the campus uh throughout the day oh wow so. Uh, It's a big kind of outdoor festival in January, which, you know, sounds a little strange, but we make it work with heated tents and and (laughs) uh, musical performances. We have activities for kids. People go through the museum through free admission. They make donations to our local um, food bank as well as blood donations. Um, And so it's a day with a lot of positive energy around it. And so we've taken that into the digital celebration um, bringing in a lot of music, some scholarly insights, um, something for the kids, a story time for the kids. And then also a lot of people don't realize is that to do our King Day like we do it every year, you've got to have a large group of volunteers to support you. And we're very fortunate that we have anywhere from four to, 400 to 600 volunteers a year help us with that and so we're highlighting some our volunteer lead team who makes the day uh who make the day possible
0: for oh, us. that's awesome yeah it's awesome and if if people want to go check this out or actually you know what i'm going to say not want to you guys should go check this out go to civilrightsmuseum.org and i believe the celebration is at noon and at 6 p.m on the uh, central time right
1: Yes, yes. At noon and 6 p.m. Central, you can visit our website, civilrightsmuseum.org. And also follow us on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at NCR Museum.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today and uh, best of luck to you. Hopefully you guys get to reopen soon and, you know, start getting crowds in there again.
1: Yeah, we miss our visitors and, and we really do appreciate everyone who has supported us during this difficult time. Uh, we can't wait to welcome you back, and we look forward to seeing each and every visitor uh, when we're back open.
0: Well, hopefully I can get there soon as well. I can't wait to see the place. You know, instead of going through our typical birthdays for today, I decided, in honor of Dr. King, to play another clip of his final words. These are the last last uh, little bit of his speech that he gave the night before he was assassinated.
2: But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
0: Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you.